0: Podcast One
1: Production. It's good to be able to catch yourself in the moment and identify what's going on so that you can manage more for joy or, or mitigate less for impact.
0: I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. This is part one of self-awareness. My guest, Susan Ferrier, Group Executive of People and Culture at National Australia Bank. Seneca said, it's necessary for a person to have a true self-estimate for we commonly think we can do more than we actually can. Most of us are walking around on automatic pilot and are unconscious of what we're doing and how we feel. Plato's two-word brilliance, know thyself, still rings true today, and I truly believe there is not one person on earth who would not benefit from increased self-awareness and the opportunity for personal growth. The evidence stacks up too. Cornell University did a big study and it was confirmed the biggest predictor for career success were high levels of self-awareness. In this episode, Susan and I are going to discuss self-awareness, what it really looks like at work, the benefits to your career, and how and what we should be doing to go about developing it. Susan, I like to think of self-awareness as like an inner rudder. Mm -hmm. What's your definition? What's your understanding of
1: being self-aware at work? I'd probably use a a similar construct, but slightly different, in that I often refer to my inner compass. Oh, okay. Okay. So for me, it's almost a navigation device that I use to explore my inner life, but also as a way to then bring that out into my outer life. So there needs to be some congruence between the story and the conversation I'm having in my head or, and or heart and how that then is demonstrated in my outer life.
0: Okay, I really like that idea of a a compass because it gives you a a sense of direction Mm. as well. Yeah. So there's a lot spoken about self-awareness and I have to admit I've been in facilitations with executives who said, oh, psychobabble or we've done that. We did it last year. We don't need to do self-awareness anymore anymore. There is a fair bit of information that's discussed in the workplace about being self-aware. Is it about monitoring your feelings every minute of every day in your mind or is it a sort of a general sense of being on a journey of growth and development?
1: Mm, Well, for me it's more of the latter, Uh, although I think occasionally, uh, particularly if you're under stress and or experiencing joy at work it's good to be able to catch yourself in the moment and identify what's going on so that you can manage more for joy or or mitigate less for impact uh, on stress but i i, I am much more oriented towards thinking that it's a you're on a pathway always of self-awareness so that you are picking up signals either in your external context which are either challenging or validating what you understand about yourself, or you are busy trudging along the pathway, trying to uh, practice the things that you've delved into and understood about yourself. So it's a bit of a, I often think it's a bit like a a bushwalk, where you, um, when you bushwalk in Australia, you're often just looking at the path and trying to avoid the snakes (laughs) or other nasties. Um, And you uh, sometimes have to remind yourself to look up and experience what's around you uh, and to be taking in signals from the external world about what's going on. So I think that you're flicking between those two states. So how
0: do we monitor this inner world, this these Mm. things that
1: you're talking about
0: here. Mm. I know that people are well aware that I have developed an activity where I put my hands on the taps and the shower in the morning and check in with what's in my head. Mm. Uh, But what are some of these ways that we manage why we're in the Mm. moment, in work, we're Mm. busy doing stuff. How do we monitor that inner
1: world? Well, I think for me, it starts with information and data. So I'm very data oriented. I enjoy analysis whether or not that's through instruments like 360 degree instruments or whether or not that's through therapy or other sorts of instruments or whether or not that is through insight through reading books or listening to podcasts so i think i like to generate insight and then then try stuff out and then look for evidence for whether or not that's working or not i also think that i probably because I've developed a bit of a practice around self-awareness, a bit similar to your touching the taps, I I come back to it uh, at various points in my day. And so when I see things in the world that that either come from, usually from relationships where an individual is giving you a signal about what they're seeing in you or something that they want you to listen to, I, I think I've got sort of my listening ears on, and I really catch that and try to notice, comment, invite, so that I can always be deepening my capacity for self knowledge. So, the deepened
0: capacity for self knowledge, I like that as a statement. Mm. Uh, it's like gaining the knowledge, getting mm. more information that allows us then to be the expert in our mm. own life, as mm. I like to say. Mm. I know there's the response that we have immediately to some emotions like fight or flight or Mm. freeze, uh, the amygdala responses. But I I have to say there are a lot of people I know who don't actually have any awareness of how they're feeling Mm. on a given day. So I might ask, how do you want to feel at the end of the conversation? People go, oh, I don't know. Uh, I might like to think this way. But they actually can't label a feeling Is that much harder for some people than others in your experience?
1: I think you can learn how to have feelings, how to access feelings. So I think everyone is capable getting to that and it's a practice, it's a habit, but I think that as adults we can learn new ways of being. Uh, The brain is an incredible machine in that respect. I think with the right uh, support and the right context, individuals can grow into understanding how to access feelings and how that can be a little superpower in your life, whether at work or at home.
0: I like to explore this little bit about a superpower in your life. Can you tell me a bit more
1: about that? Well, I think that sometimes when you, I've experienced myself, when I can have a relationship, uh, either a work relationship or or relationship outside work where you can get to authentic feelings in a reasonably quick basis, the, the strength and the depth and the meaningfulness of that connection is so much more alive and bright and interesting than if you don't get to there. So I often feel like I will want to go to that if I'm wanting to get to a place with an individual or with a team where you want people to feel like they're in a context which is meaningful. I think it's hard to get to a context that's meaningful just with facts and analysis. I think there has to be a heavy dose of emotion and feelings.
0: So feelings aren't irrelevant, they're
1: useful. They're useful information. I think, think, yeah, well, they're useful information, but they're crucial and I think are the underpinnings of meaning in a work context or in uh, outside work context. And it's amazing how we try and avoid that, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I think I've used emotion and feeling quite substantially in my Career, uh, perhaps in a occasionally controversial way, <laughs> um, because maybe I am a uh, reasonably quick to emotion individual. So I've learnt how to harness that to be something that is, yeah, as I say, powerful.
0: So mm. you know how you feel, yeah. You know how you may use those feelings, yeah. And you may, you know, how that may harness others. Yes. So I like this idea too. When you mention joy. Uh, this is my area of expertise, this is my passion and my profession, understanding self-awareness and helping others become more self-aware. But I'd forgotten, even until you said it there, about this idea of actually I feel joyful, let's yeah. harness this idea of yeah. how do I how do I capture this again? Mm.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to catch yourself when you're feeling joy and then in the moment understand what's going on for you right then because I think joy is such a fantastic state to be able to replicate particularly at work, because I think so too much of the work paradigm is around non-joy type rhetoric or commentary. So I think it's really, really important that you have a life where you can experience joy in Every respect
0: and beware, mm. aware of aware it. of so it as well. self mm. awareness. I know Daniel Goldman is considered to be the founder of the um, categorization of emotional intelligence, and mm. there's a lot of people before him who spoke about it. But self awareness really hasn't been around a long time in the workplace, has it? I think it's only the seventies yes that really began to mm. be discussed uh, in any level. And now my understanding is the inner rudder is actually a, a, a quite a cornerstone of most organisational
1: mm.
0: leadership development and yeah. things like that. Mm. Can you tell me a bit more about your experience as, you know, head of people and culture in some global organisations, uh, how that becomes
1: uh, an important part of the leadership development journey? Well, I, I believe self-awareness is e- extremely crucial to being able to move further down the path of leadership capability. It's kind of a cornerstone. You can get to a certain point, I think, without perhaps digging into self-awareness, but to progress, I think in this day and age, and maybe always, but um, particularly now, it, to progress to a point where you are leading groups of people in this you know, turbulent, disruptive world. You have, to, you have to have some mastery in the field or the domain of self-awareness. And so that's why I think what has happened is that many large organizations and many, even small organizations around the world uh, have been designing leadership programs, frameworks, which have at the heart of it self-awareness, or they have some kind of component of self-awareness. So why is that? That, that That is because I think I think it's almost the key that actually unlocks other capabilities. Mm. So I think it's really hard now to maybe, and maybe it's always been like this, to have some element of mastery around things like even strategic thinking, critical thinking, design capability, unless that all sits on a foundation of self-awareness. Because self-awareness has at the heart of it curiosity because you're curious about yourself. Therefore, you convert that in many cases to curiosity about the world. Um, so that for me would be why I think the, the, what we're seeing now is individuals who are extremely successful in their, in their careers and in, their part, in the paths that they've chosen. We're seeing individuals who demonstrate significant levels of self-awareness because I think that's just something that the world's called for in the last 10 to 15, 20 years and even more so in the next 10 to 20, to 50 years.
0: And I'm curious about this idea that corporate leaders have really the emphasis to be more self-aware, to be more vulnerable, Mm. to be able to express emotions and understand the world around them is is essential. Mm. You'll be judged on it. You'll be assessed on it. Yet a lot of our political leaders are um, increasingly lacking that self-awareness. There seems to be a bit of a divide there. Yes. So focusing on the leaders in the corporate world sort of assessments might someone have on their self-awareness um, that will help them develop that? What would we be, what would I be given?
1: I think, well, there's all sorts of different things, but I think the idea that as a senior leader at various points in your career, you've been given some element of 360 degree feedback, whether or not that's through a tool, whether or not that's through a collection of verbatim comments. Um, I think that's critical uh, and there are all sorts of different instruments that are out there that can give you that level of insight. And, and I, I, um, I have this view that particularly with 360 degree feedback, if you haven't at some point received feedback that makes you just feel almost fear, then I don't think the feedback is valid you have to have had an experience where you get good good stuff because that sort of releases the dopamine in your head to be able to want to resolve things, but you also have to receive something where you just go, wow, there's just so much truth in that and I've skirted around that issue for so many times in my life and there it is in black and white and now's the time where I need to gather my resolve and mm. move forward and hold on to that piece of feedback and walk down that pathway that we've been talking about and go, you know, you, piece of feedback, you're something that I'm going to shed (laughs) as we go down this path together and you sort of commit yourself to some element of reshaping yourself. So when anyone says to me, oh, my feedback's always been wonderful, there's nothing, you know, I've always had 360-degree feedback, there's never really identified anything that I need to work on, that for me is a red flag. That for me is, well, that person probably won't be able to progress beyond where they are right now because I think one of the engines for progression is that you come to a point where you identify something that you need to really dig into and shift in your in yourself. Then the second area, I think, is that you need to attract people in your team and around you who will say things to you in a moment where you just suddenly go, oh. because they're telling you something that is, incredibly positive about who you are so you know that you can be in full uh, glory in your leadership capability by continuing to master that, or they're giving you a, a truth from a trusted source where you just go, wow, that's being delivered to me with heart and care and so I really need to listen to that and understand what that message is about. So I think that's another extremely good source. But you, ne- I think you as a leader need to select people for that. So I think that's the second thing that you need to have an explicit strategy around. And then I think the third thing that I um, say is you need to try stuff out and experiment. And the way that I've done that throughout my career, as I've often flagged for the individual that I'm with or the team, by saying, I understand that this is something that I would, you know, that I've either been given feedback on or it's something that I've self generated for myself as a piece of insight. And I'd like your help to try it out with you. Um, and then you kind of dive in and you experiment. Uh, so that you can have a safe place to try new ways of doing things which remedy and help you move away from potentially old ways of doing things. And so no one ever says, no, you can't try something out on me. And Normally, whenever I've done it in the past, they're curious to understand, okay, here's this, here's, this is something a bit different. So I think that's the third area where I think you can really extend and practice and do it in a way where you get the right support both in a positive way and when you when it doesn't go well, you get some calibration back.
0: And having a common language to do that yeah. is useful and I think Very a lot useful. of the time the yeah. tools are just simply that. You've yeah. got a common language yes. and you're able to say, hey, your strength of courage is really yeah. or bravery is really being overplayed at the moment yes. because you might be speaking up a little too much. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so it's not turn it off. No. It's, it's just dial up or dial down. It's hard. Coming to work every day and being self-aware uh-huh. takes a whole different level of thinking and feeling. I think paying attention to self-awareness can be quite difficult for almost all of us. And you've mentioned a couple of things that you can we can uh-huh. integrate there. Um, what are some of the other ideas that come to mind when we think, okay, how do I not avoid or deny the self-awareness journey? And mm. be seduced by ticking off five things on my list every day that I've <laughs> achieved, and look, I've met my KPIs.
1: Oh, oh, I don't know. I've got I've got some really simple things that I sometimes do, uh, or I have done in the past, um, and still do. Uh, sometimes I I've gone through a period where I have a notebook. I'm a bit old school in that respect. So I I would put on the top right hand corner of my notebook a symbol, word, or a something that I that it serves as a bit of a reminder as I go through my day. Um, I might not catch it in time in the moment when I'm thinking and afterwards I'll come back to it and go, damn, I should have remembered that word. <laughs>
0: well, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm working on the coaching leader's coach program, we've got this thing called environmental structuring and that's yes, exactly what it yes. is. You write in the back of your notebook, Count to ten, or yeah.
1: I am the CEO.
0: Yes, Act like it or
1: whatever it might be. <laughs> yes, well, I do that. I do that, and I carry it over. But at great. the top of every page, if I'm if it's something I'm really digging into, I need that constant reminder. I might do that. Um, one other thing that I've done, which again is um, environmental structuring, is I've used a post-it note. So I've put a post-it note at the top of my computer on the right hand side of my computer that has either a phrase or a single word that I glance at at various points throughout my day and think, yes, I need to be thinking about that. Um, I structure my diary in a way where I create reflection time.
0: Oh, I'm really curious about that because 90% of the people I work with are ruled by their diary rather than ruling their diary.
1: Yes, now, hasn't always been successful and I'm sure if you spoke to some of my secretaries and EAs in the past they would scoff but I do try to put in hour, two-hour blocks at various points in my week and those blocks are, serve two purposes. One, to get me off the meeting treadmill, the sort of cycle of bouncing out of one meeting into another meeting so that I've got self-care time or just standing up and walking away from my laptop and desk and connecting with people time because mm. it's very easy to just sit in front of your computer in the world of the work that I do and just be there the whole day on and off calls sometimes not even sitting in meetings with other people because the world is organized around this virtual space so you can just be in the one spot for very long periods of time. And I think movement is incredibly important. So I try and structure my diary in a way in which I get up and move. Um, I often create insight when I'm moving. I've learnt that. So I need to find ways in which I can do that. Susan, I like the
0: idea of ritualised self-reflection. And I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. And checking in with your values alignment. Mm. Simple as mm. I've got some clients who ask themselves, have I been a good person today? Mm. Did my behaviour reflect who I am? Lovely. Have I, in, you know, just some really simple questions. Mm. Mm. The thing is, I wonder, and a couple of people have asked me in this past, can we go too deep and become too analytical and too self-obsessed? Most of us are worried about being too shallow, but <laughs> can, can we become self-obsessed and so... um Captivated by our own sense of self, that Mm -hmm. we lose
1: sight of everything else. What's Mm -hmm. your view? I'm curious. I think you can. You clearly, I think you can become too self obsessed. That is a state that I've observed, perhaps in myself and in others uh, on occasion. Uh, So I do think you need to find a balance between being in your head and being out in the world. And I think that requires you knowing that that's a condition that you want to manage for, so you need to have, it's not just going to happen, you probably need to have some technique through which you can stop yourself at the point at that gate that when it's opened you're in beautiful self-absorbed land. Um, So you you probably need some mechanisms to be able to help yourself from moving, moving too much into that sort of state. I'm just trying to think whether or not I've got anything that does that. I think I probably have some external mechanisms that aren't necessarily ones I've chosen, or maybe they are, that help. One of them is having a family (laughs) because they, they, well, in my case at least, they pull you away from the rabbit hole that you might be about to disappear down into with some either mundane family activities like what's for dinner or something that's far less mundane like you know I've just broken up with my boyfriend so I think that for me at least in my case that's been something that's been quite a significant factor for me to stay grounded and not be too self-obsessed the delicate
0: balance between being self-aware doing the work but being able to get on and function in the world yes
1: I think so and then I think um, yeah I think you also need to perhaps use humour you need to have established some Patterns in your team, whereby perhaps humour can be used in a disarming way to kind of bring yourself, bring yourself back to some other place which is less uh, self-absorbed.
0: Again, I'm going to come back to this idea of recognising joy is self-awareness. Yeah, it's yeah. not all about the deep, dark, you yeah. know, negative feelings. Yeah. This is actually self-awareness for joy and optimal functioning. Yes. And what does that look like and how do we harness it? Yes, yes. I'm feeling joyful talking about that. (laughs) One last question on this topic of self-awareness. How much should we share with our co-workers about our journey of self-awareness? Oh, that's
1: such a good question. I've thought about this quite a bit actually because I was given some feedback in one of the roles that I've had a few years ago (laughs) where somebody had said, told someone else who then told me that they felt that my level of disclosure on certain things was a little bit too much initially in our relationship. And I was thinking, oh, what was I trying to do there? I think I was trying to create intimacy in the work relationship. So I was potentially sharing information that made them feel uncomfortable. So I've thought about this quite a lot. I think there's a delicate balance to be struck, isn't there, that you need to well, I think one of the things I've learned is that I probably it, it works best when you explicitly contract with the individual about whether or not it's okay for them to receive certain types of information. Um, so a bit d- of permission asking. Yeah. So, look, so, I've, I'm going through this thing. So yeah. Is it alright? Is it alright if I, share it, all right it if I share it with you? Yeah. Exactly. I think that is a good way to gauge whether or not you're with somebody who wishes to participate in that kind of discussion. People talk about vulnerability,
0: Susan. Yes. And being vulnerable and being a good thing at work. And I have a different view. I think it's good to be vulnerable at work, but I'm not going to expose myself to a point where I'm open to, you know, being hit by the commentary opinion bus Mm. of those around me who Mm. are going to misdiagnose my journey, my personal journey. I like
1: that idea. I like the idea that one of the routes to deriving joy is being authentic. It's causal in my view. So... If you're able to find a way where you, fear you feel truly yourself and there's hardly any masking or shielding or armoring, then I think that creates incredible joy. I think that's a bit different to vulnerability. I think vulnerability can be used to describe how individuals might be feeling about a certain situation. The way I use vulnerability is to say something like, I can imagine that this is feeling a bit scary for you and it is for me too. So that's for me is where you you can use vulnerability in a powerful way in the work context. I don't think vulnerability is, you know, you standing on stage and sharing personal issues that With are... dirty laundry. <laughs> or, yeah, or stuff that... Well, a life circumstance or beliefs that are, yeah, polarizing. I don't think the the world of work calls for that kind of vulnerability, but I do think it calls for being able to recognize when something is a bit scary or when something is upsetting. I think you can disclose around that, and that's quite powerful when you do that. Which brings us back to the whole point
0: of self-awareness, doesn't it? (laughs) Being able to recognize how we're feeling and thinking and using these Uh, feelings and thoughts as a rudder or information that allows us to then go on and optimally function uh, or help ourselves Mm. manage and navigate through, as you say, the compass of difficult situations. And then to get that delicate balance right between self-obsession and doing the work, doing the hard work, and oversharing and undersharing about the self-awareness journey. Susan, I've learned a lot today. It's been really interesting discussion. We know this is a vast topic and we encourage people to really go and do some reading wherever they might like. And um, it's not a one one course. Let's be clear. This is an everyday activity for all of us. Um, so thanks for coming in. And remember, make good choices. Continue to grow your self-awareness so the choices flow.
1: Fast Track is produced in the studios of Podcast One Australia. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the app or search Fast Track Career Conversations Podcast.